What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 29 of Narwhals. My name's Drew Wilson. Kieran Flanagan. And Matt this- Goldman. Oh, oh, and that's Matt oh, Goldman. There he is. There he is, man. All right, so um, thanks for sticking with us on episode 29. We're almost on episode 30, which means we will be 10 episodes into the new stuff. The new season. Which is the videos and all the other cool stuff. So, How long has it been since the first season? Years. Years, yeah. We started in 2014, I think. Yeah, we took our time with the first yeah. series. We did, them, series we did them decently yep. frequently in the beginning. Yeah. And then a few months in, it was every it slowed month. Down. And it then, slowed down a lot. And then it was like nine months and we did episode and we did, we're finally back. <laughs> and it was the only one we did. <laughs> yeah, and then that was it. <laughs> it took a year week. off. Yeah. <laughs> it helps when we're both in the same place. Yeah. Like that was the that was the issue. Yeah, that's why we did it like this. Because before, like the last episode we did before we did the first video one, I was in RV traveling and uh i had this little itty bitty mic yeah and um and that's why i really did one because i was not very available right during that time yeah but yeah it's gonna be back 30 episode 30 or 29 episode, episode 29 we next will be 30 matt thanks for joining us thanks um, for having me tell us a little bit about yourself what are you what are you doing and who are you i'm matt uh i'm working on Churnbuster. it is a application that helps companies manage their failed payments so we took it over from a guy named Andrew Culver about a year and a half ago, and we saw him him building it. He had another job, and uh, it was a bit much for him to focus on both. So basically what it did is it, it hooks up to your Stripe and lets you monitor for failed payments and then jump into action to recover customers when something goes wrong. And we found that a lot of companies treat this as an afterthought, and they think that cards can only fail because they expire, but a lot of other stuff can happen. Um, so what we do is we work with at scale companies where making a small impact to their recovery makes a huge difference. That's mm. awesome. And you guys were working on something in the same space before. Yep. We hook, had a hook, hook, line, feed, feed, ah, hook line. It was a hook. hook line. There's a hook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a Stripe analytics app. So we were, um, we were pretty well poised to jump into Churnbuster since it was on the same tech stack, same, mm. Uh, integration with Stripe, and mm. you're ready to go. So, how did that situation present itself? Like, how did you? We got to know Andrew through a Slack chat of just a few bootstrappers that yeah. hang out online, and then we go to the same conference, which is this weekend every year called MicroConf. Oh, right. So we got to know him, In Vegas. Yep. Yeah. And we we learned when he was thinking about selling it, and uh, from there we we showed interest, and then figured out how to do such a thing, mm. which we had no experience in. Mm. So you guys kind of uh, acquired it and then became it. Yes. So Hookfeed isn't a an active Hookfeed's still running, but we're not really letting in new customers. Right. Um, we I think that Chart Mogul and First Officer, a handful of other apps, are doing really good stuff there. Um, but working on Hookfeed, we saw a lot of payments failing, and we couldn't do much about it. Mm. We could just tell people it happened. So that's what drew us to Turnbusters that we could actually jump in, provide a lot of value. And that's where we struggled with Hookfeed was finding significant value and product market fit to deliver. Yeah, and you spoke at Shape, which is a meetup here. Y'all should come to last Thursday of every month here at Common Grounds of Carlsbad. Um, and you were mentioning that uh, that while you were working on Churnbuster, oh my gosh, this happened live. My brain just exploded. <laughs> no, wait. What were you just talking about? <laughs> about Hookfeed? Yes. Product market fit. Product yes, market fit. There it is. Okay, gosh dang it. Sorry, everyone. That happens to me. 
everything just goes. <laughs> um, a product market fit. But you mentioned that while you were working on it, uh, uh, on Hookfeed, you were saying that um, this was super cool because you could just like go buy product market fit instead of like trying to like build something from scratch and, hey, is this going to work or not? Yeah. You could just like buy your way into that. And so that was like a big motivation for you. Could you talk maybe just a bit about that? Yeah. So when we were going through uh, due diligence, we were sharing the deal with our family. And one of the things that Joel's dad said is that we were buying our new, buying our own jobs. Yeah. And we hadn't thought about it that way, but it's totally what we did. Uh, <laughs> and so we thought we would come into this, buy the product and jump into what we're really good at, which was marketing, or we thought we were good at. But what we didn't pay attention to was the transition that would come after buying a company which kept us busy pretty much up till a few months ago. So hmm. um, still, I think it's a great approach and I would totally do it again. And you you started a con- uh, company from scratch before and obviously there is some onboarding to like getting the company going. Yes. Uh, well, what's the difference between the two? Is it is it harder when you buy a company like to get it going or just more stuff to do or? Well, I think that in the past when, so with Hookfeed, it was very low maintenance. We did a lot of work up front, probably more than we should to get day-to-day support stuff automated and taken care of. So when you're stepping into a new company, um, there was a lot of support stuff that A, we weren't familiar and had to learn about, and B, maybe had to be handled with a manual script or something where a technical person has to jump in. Mm. And for Churnbuster, that was me for a very long period. And we didn't spot that that was happening. So for months my day was filled. We call it thrashing where there's so many little things stacking up that you don't feel like you can make any progress on anything meaningful. Mm-hmm. So, um, we spent a long time in that state where we just felt like we weren't going anywhere. We were trying to get current customers happy, automate support stuff. And it's just, it's harder when it's not yours. And I think with Churnbuster, it was especially hard because it's not a simple product. Like, you know, with Blasso, it's not a, a simple CRUD app that that's more like what Hookfeed was. There was complex analytics in it, but it was a lot more straightforward. With Churnbuster, there's multiple different uh, aspects of the product. It's dealing um, closer with their billing code, card update pages, subscription yep. reactivation, um, bugs and integration stuff with Stripe. So there's a lot of moving parts. And even though we were familiar with Stripe, coming in from the outside, it takes a while to get acquainted. It's like buying a new house versus a used house. like. Different problems, but yeah. I've never heard it called a used house. <laughs> a used house. It's used. Somebody used it. That's a, awesome. a pre-owned home. I could say I've, I've uh, experienced that same thing many times over, um, where if you have something new that you're going to launch, you have all the time in the world to work on it and get it perfect and then launch it versus, okay, now it's launched and now I want to add this new feature but now I have like no time to work on this new feature because what I launched, there's bugs here. There's got this there. I got to add this feature to that person. And so that's what it's like for us. Like a Plasso, when we launch something new, it takes way longer now that we've got a bunch of stuff out already yeah. to actually launch it because mm. most of our time is spent supporting what we currently have. You're already in maintenance mode. Yeah, yeah. And like when you launch something new, um, you have to make sure that it's going to work with what exists. And then if it's something totally new, it's going to change the way things work. You have to build in the ability to not forcefully move your users to this new thing. You know, it's just there's like a lot of a lot of stuff that you have to do yeah. after something already exists. You got to bust that churn. You got to bust that churn. <laughs> I, li- I like that name. I think it's just yeah. like any name that has the word "buster" in it. Like it doesn't really matter. It could be Ghostbuster. It could be Churnbuster. We see just about every variation of it, except for the actual spelling and. 
pluralness of it. So we'll see like churn busters a lot. It's huh. two separate words. Or if it's churn buster singular, it's one word. You're just two mm. words. Yeah. It's two words singular. Huh. Churn buster. Like yeah. You guys got to get yourself like, little costumes, little guns, and then pose in front <laughs> of a little slimy monster. Totally should. Called tur- called churn. Well, it, called turn. Not, not turd. Churn. <laughs> okay. Name the monster churn. Oh, yeah. or the ghost churn. It's funny stepping into a new business after, uh, like last week, you guys were talking about how many domains you have and how many uh, products that aren't companies that you've mm-hmm. started over the years. So coming from a similar background, it's funny to step into someone else's product and be okay with um, things not all being the way that you would like them, but right. especially the name. Like the name is the first thing you start on any project. You find that perfect domain. Yeah. And we had to like, acquaint. Oh, because you didn't like it. No. Oh, okay. no, no, no. You got to get used to it. Yeah, we weren't used to it. Oh, you, I see. And you I think that the, one the that name's perfect. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Yeah. That's awesome. So is it just uh, the two of you? No, it's uh, Joel, myself, and then uh, Ken, Ken Johnson. He moved to San Diego a few years ago, and his last company was Manpax. So he was doing subscription, physical goods, e-commerce. But in working on that, he has an awesome background with copywriting and marketing. Is and, it super tough, like that space? Is, it, is he mentioned that, that it's like really competitive. It's super competitive. Is that a subscription yeah. box thing? Is that yeah. what you said? Okay. Yeah. It was one of the first ones. Huh. Dang. It's men's underwear at first. And then they expanded into shaving and, and everything else. Yeah. Did he sell it off or? Yeah. Oh, nice. What do you sell it to? Um, I don't know. Gotcha. I don't know, but he moved to San Diego and he stayed in Airbnb for a few months, a couple years ago and liked it. So he stayed. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. We met at startup poker. Startup poker. Startup yeah. Poker. Oh yeah. At, uh, Evo. Yep. Yeah. 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 Dang. So, okay. So you mentioned before that, um, you've, you know, done other projects and everything, hook feed. How long have you been doing this and what are some of the other things that you've worked on before hook feed? Yeah. Um, well, I started, I started learning how to code in college PHP. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after college, I got a internship at an agency and along, alongside all that, I was doing like little products that suck, just learning how to build rails apps. That's where I met Joel, the agency. And then the first product that we worked on together was Minimalytics. Remember that? I do remember that. Yeah. It was uh, an email digest. A lot of people have done this now. An email digest where you pick metrics from different apps and then it would roll them up and send them to you. Mm. And it was super popular. It was super well received, but nobody wanted to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And we were charging like $7 a month. So there was a lot that... Um, I think that we could have done better with that product, but on a fundamental level, I think it was just a mismatch of customer and pricing. And mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, so you mentioned Joelle, but she's your wife. Yes. You mentioned that. And partner. Yes. And, um, how has that been? Cause that's always, to me, sounds like super exciting. Like you get to work on stuff. Exciting is one word for it. One word for it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, it sounds like it comes with its own set of, uh, of, well, of course, but at the same issues time. or gray areas as well. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's like over here on the issue or over here. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm super pumped about it. I'm in a, uh, like CEO business group, um, that, you know, it's Etienne. Yeah. Yeah. So seven CEOs and I think four of the seven people in my group are husband and wife hmm. teams. Oh, wow. So I'm super familiar with it. And, um, one of our investors is, is a husband and wife that works really closely together so I think it's great. We look at Turnbuster and anything business-wise that we do as a chance to learn about business, but also to learn about ourselves and um, emotional intelligence and, and how to deal with life better. So cool. being able to work together with her lets us learn the same things 
at the same time. So if we go through something at work one day, I don't have to come home and try to like, get her in the same headspace to understand what happened. She's there and she went through it. And we can apply that to personal right. as well. Gotcha. I always imagine like if you guys, I mean, not to you specifically, but I mean like husband, wife teams, like if you're like, Oh man, there's like this thing we want to build that you can both just like code through the night, <laughs> but maybe that'll change pretty soon. Cause you're having a kid yeah. uh, yes. and she levels me out. I think if I, if I was single, I would be working like nonstop <laughs> yeah. and, and she helps me clock in good hours. Yeah. That's good. But you do have a child yes. inbound imminently too, right? It's like next impending next child. Month? Yes. Wow. Congrats. May 25th. Congrats. Thank you. Congrats. Yeah. Is the child going to work at Churnbuster someday? Yeah. Yeah. Soon. We My, talked about that. It's really, I'm, I'm uh, like, that's the company that we want to build is something where kids and grandkids can work in it. Cause I would go to, I would go to work with my dad at a piano store and I would do filing. And there's so many jobs there for me to just learn about business. I think it had a big impact on me going entrepreneurial um, mm-hmm. later on. So I was going through some bags of stuff the other day as we were moving and I found a little business card that was like that big. <laughs> it's a mini business yeah. card. <laughs> and it was from my grandpa and it said in like three point font at the top, this economy size card has been made necessary by your like unwillingness to purchase from us. <laughs> and I thought that was so cool. And it made me wonder what kind of stuff are we doing today on the site or in our marketing that a grandkid might see? I don't know how the internet like archive yeah. is going to work, but what are we going to be remembered by? And are our kids and grandkids going to be able to come work at whatever mm. we create? Yep. Yeah, it's it's nothing physical typically. You know, it's all digital and it all it all goes away so fast. Like I I even think of the older projects I have. Like some of them are still up there and everything. But um if it's some it gets hard because sometimes you have to pay money to keep these things live and say so like, "Oh, I'll just kill it off." Yeah. You know? And then it's just 100% gone. And maybe it lives in a GitHub repo somewhere. But there's no way a kid or grandkid's going to be able to access yeah. that, you know? So Here's, here's the three foot tall screenshot of my like 2016 design I did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's about it. Even like, I don't know about you guys, how old your work goes or how far back your work goes. But, um, I, I had a hard drive that I've had wanted to repair for a very long time because it like, you know, went out, went bad and I'd always kept it in its little, uh, um, what is it? Uh, static free sleeve. And I did get it repaired finally, um, a couple months ago. And like a lot of my old work was on there, uh, but not as much as I thought. Like I didn't have like my really old stuff from the nineties with like my websites and stuff like that on it. Um, I was hoping that for some reason I had back then thought to like copy that over to all my new computers and hard drives, but right. I don't know. I didn't do that. So I don't know how, how far back I've checked on archive.org to like see my oldest site and it's on there. But, um, my old, old stuff was like GeoCities and, um, uh, Angel Fire and, you know, I don't know what my username was. So uh, I don't know how to find it on archive.org. It's before I, one password. I deliberately, yeah. I used one password, but it was just a single password. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't a good one. <laughs> it was, uh, I deliberately destroy everything once I'm done. I'm like, nope, you're coming down. I'm deleting all of you. Really? I never want to reference you again. Really? Sort of. Sort of. I'm sort of being serious. It was, it was cool. Like I, when I got that hard drive back, I saw stuff from, I think the earliest I had was 2000. Um, so I got to see all my design work from back then. I wasn't, I was not designing back then mm. or making websites. I mean, aside from like a funny little like movie GeoCities mm. page or whatever. I like, did see, I did, some I did see old music videos I made back then, yeah. which is super cool. I went, I did this, uh, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it's, I don't remember. Anyways, 
Legacy box, legacy box. And I, my parents had had all our old videos, like VHS tapes. Oh yeah. So I had like 80 VHS tapes and like 80 mini DVs that I had taken myself. So it's like a ton, right? So I spent like $2,000 getting this to convert stuff. It all? Yeah. Getting this stuff converted, uh, and got it back. And you can't in this day and age, you cannot say, I do not want DVDs. You can't like check a box saying no DVDs. You have to have the DVDs by default and they have to pay extra to get it on a, a thumb drive. So I got everything on a, a one little thumb drive, uh, and it all you know fit easily. Uh, and then of course I have all these DVDs. I'm like, who who even has a DVD player these days? I don't even know. But uh, you have to pay to get those converted later. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's like it it's like a waste. PlayStation because they could just send back in the mail a little envelope with this little itty bitty thing. But anyways, it was super cool because then I get to see like all that old stuff that I made. Um, that was my first business. Really selling? Uh, I don't even know what DV tapes. Yeah, many DV tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a catalog through um, D something distributing, and flipped through the whole thing. It was like that thick, and the only product I could find that I could make a profit on on eBay were mini DV tapes for some reason, and the profit was like a dollar a box. Hmm. So I filled up my whole closet with boxes of DV tapes and was selling them in bulk. <laughs> that was after you on, were, on eBay. On eBay, yeah. That Dang. was after you were buying them. Dang man, yeah. I uh, did it work. I probably made a couple hundred bucks. Huh. Oh snap! Yeah, I um, I had a lot of those DVD DV tapes, and I didn't like like some of them I labeled, but a lot of them I didn't label. So it's like a mystery, like what's on it because I haven't even converted all of them yet. But um, yeah, I remember um, like in high school having little businesses like that. Like my brother had one somewhat similar, uh, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of things. My thing was when I was younger, I did um, I did uh, muffins. You so, did muffins? I made muffins. You made muffins. I made muffins. Door to door? My first business. My first business. I was nine years old. <laughs> my first what do you like, son? <laughs> I like eating muffins. <laughs> I don't know why. Okay, my first business. I was nine years old. And at the local hair salon, I would take, I would take muffins. I don't know who had that. Maybe my mom had the idea. But I would make muffins, like blueberry muffins, other muffins. And then I would uh, wrap them up. And put them in a basket. <laughs> I take them down to the local hair salon, sell them for ten cents each. Why is this so funny? Oh no, I don't know. <laughs> I'm picturing it. But that was my first business. My I was nine. My mom would drive me down there. That's cheap. Uh, that ages you. <laughs> Did they take a cut? Uh, no. Who take a cut? No, they didn't. The, the salon. Oh no, yeah. They didn't Rent. take a cut. No. no. Mm. My. Uh, Did your mom take a cut? Nope. Nope. I got it all for free. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Around that same age, I would make money at garage sales. I would make stuff like beads and necklaces and T-shirts. And I would I was big into comics. And so I would draw superheroes on the T-shirts with like a marker, right? And just draw it. And I I, didn't, I think I colored a few in, but mo- mostly it was just like a white T-shirt with like black ink on it. And I was, I was like 10 at the time. And um, I would hang them up on hangers at the garage sale. And so people could like flip through them. And I only had like four or five each at each garage sale. Uh, and then the first time I did it, I had one left over. Uh, and then I, sometime later I was like, Hey, I'm going to wear this thing. So I wore it and then I washed it. And, um, and when I washed it and I took it out, there was nothing there because I didn't use like a permanent marker. Realized you so were ripping I realized, people off. oh man, all the people that had bought those things, they're going to wash it once and there's nothing That's there. pretty much what we do on the internet. Like. <laughs> That GitHub repo is going to be gone as soon yeah. as you wash it. Yeah. Okay, cool. So 
Switching, <laughs> switching gears. That reminds me. No, yeah. remind switching me. gears out of all this, all this stuff. Um, you uh, grew up here in San Diego. No, Orange no. County. Orange County. Okay, same thing, right? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> nope. Quite different. It is. It is different. Where are you in Laguna? Uh, Tustin. Tustin. I don't know where the difference happens. Maybe San Clemente. But it does happen. But it goes yeah. from like flat residential to hilly canyons and more stuff to do and younger people and hmm. yeah. It feels less, feels more exciting. You mean up towards Tustin? Down here. Oh, down here. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah I was like, uh, okay. Um, mm. So down here though, you moved down here, you started a company here um, and you've been, how long have you been in San Diego? 10 years. 10 years. 10 years or so. And the whole time you've been here, you've been working in tech. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit from your perspective, because you're like, you're down right in. You were in Little Italy. That's like where all the startup stuff is. It's down there in San Diego, not up here in North County. So I don't know. What do, what do you what's think? different? Yeah. What do you think of? Well, not what's but, changed over a decade. Yeah. Like what's what what's it like down there? Like being in a startup because you're super connected to Evo and and all the the hubs. It's so exciting. You've, you've seen it grow. Like, yeah. 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 Um, it's cool. It's cool. I wish I I wish I would have seen downtown San Diego like ten years before I got there because I hear it was not good shape there's no reason you would go down there hmm. um but since they put the ballpark as in a person or as a, as a startup as a person like oh. it, it, i think it was a rougher area and there wasn't all the restaurants and stuff to do so they've really improved it they're doing the whole waterfront now and um lots of co-working spaces going in i feel like too many oh my like gosh way too I much saw, inventory i saw a link so a guy I know, Scott, he went down there and he talked to a realtor down there about spaces down there. He's like, what's going on a startup? And they gave him this thing and he sent me the, they gave him an email and he sent it to me. And it's a link after link after link of all these like startup um, atmospheres or something they're building. So it's yeah. like a series of like four buildings just for startups and with like yeah. a central area in the middle. Like, like maker's quarter. Yeah. Mm. And like an idea one. And there's, I'm not kidding. There's like four or five of them going up. Right now, so yeah. I'm like, what in the world? I thought they said there's going to be like a million square feet of new startup office space. And WeWork just went in downtown. Right. And I haven't been there, but I can't imagine it's full. Yeah, there, it the, looked cool. The space we Stop were pictures. in was pretty empty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Another one just opened up by the ballpark. But it's cool. There's a lot more companies uh, down there. And the ones that were there in Evo now are growing up and right. um, you know have 20, 30 plus people working at them. So it's cool to, it's cool to see that. Um, we moved up to Pacific Beach now, so we're a little bit removed, but it's funny the block we ended up on, and it's not a startup office space or a creative area. We're in an old home that's been converted to a few offices, and then we got the like corner of it that was subdivided that I guess the old office guy was living in. Hmm. Oh, nice. So it's it's our cozy little space, but across the street, there's a tech company or agency, and then right next door to us is a company that just came down from San Francisco um, startup. So it's cool to be in our own little bubble in Pacific Beach. And they landed in Pacific Beach of all places. Yeah. Crazy. Maybe they like the vibe. Maybe they do. Yeah. But like you're right. Kids. You guys don't go down and we don't go up. I've been up twice in two weeks to common <laughs> grounds. Yeah. Look at that. You might as well live here. But aside from that, it feels like it's so far away. Yeah. Well, I mean, it really is. I mean, if you're... Up here, I, I feel like we don't complain as much. Like if we have to go, and that's just the way it is. But anytime I talk to anybody down there saying like, you should come up to Carlsbad, like, why would I go to, that's LA. Like that, that yeah. might as well be yeah. Santa Monica. Like well, I, I don't do that. I, I feel yeah. like it is far enough removed that it like merits having two separate ecosystems, but at the same time, it's like all San Diego. So 
I think that's always been the challenge for people is like tying the two together. Right. And like, it's having, a big County. Like, yeah, it's huge. County is massive. Counties like this didn't exist in Colorado. Like, yeah, this scope, like yeah. it's huge. Yeah. Well, I feel like North County is a lot more cozy. Yeah. There's a lot more families and, um, the common grounds meet up and then the, um, planning center meet up. Everyone's mm-hmm. just super close. And I don't think you see that downtown. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people that are organizing downtown live up in North County, I think. Yeah. A lot of the investors and yeah, they all live in like ranch Santa Fe del Mar, um, which is technically North County. Yeah. Um, it's the border. Yeah. It's right on the border. Del Mar's right on the border. Um, but yeah, no, that's interesting. Like, uh, I know up here, like we have common grounds here and you mentioned one going to buy, buy the ballpark, another coworking space and common grounds is actually also opening one right by the ballpark. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, but up here, other than common grounds and there was another one that opened, um, but I took a look at it and it's more like a Regis, like a, like a, not really a co-working space, even though they call it one. Um, not fun, but there's not too many. I'm, I am going to go check out an incubator sometime, uh, at shape. Last time people told me there's some going on, but there's really not much happening here. And you, you said you were like connected Well, you did like poker at Evo and everything. And that's like an incubator, I think. Um, Evo Nexus. Yeah. Um, I don't really know what it is. Do you? I, guess, I don't know how they define themselves, but it's like a, it's not an incubator. It's like a startup hub. It's an accelerator. It's sort of an accelerator. Yeah. But it's, they don't take equity. And I think their hope is that. Do they invest? No, it'll, they think it'll pay off by getting you into you office space in after you oh. graduate. Cause it's Irvine company hosts it and Irvine company owns every building everywhere. Got it. Hmm. So their hope is that you grow up to buy a floor of office space, but I don't know how many of the students have been successful in that. Yeah. Well, as soon as I feel like anybody who gets to a certain point just leaves the building. Yeah. I guess you, you said they can go to any Irvine building is probably. Yeah. And checks you, a conversion box. You wrote a blog post once about San Diego. Um, and that was a few years ago, I think. I remember the picture I used, but I don't remember the <laughs> yeah the topic. I think um, it was Carlos' I bad it was picture. About, I remember it was yeah. I remember just the um, it was about San Diego and the startup scene. So, from your perspective, what needs to happen here to to, to accomplish it, what to make it better better yeah. People need to stop leaving. Yeah. Like it's, we've lost so many friends, not even in startups. I think Where are they going? Startup people actually stay because they, uh, if they can be successful enough to get a salary out of the company, then there's, there's no reason to live anywhere. It's awesome here. And why would you leave? But anyone with an actual job, uh, has to leave at some point. Cause there's just not that many jobs outside of biotech and startups here. Mm. So a lot of college friends of Joel's and mine end up leaving at some point. Mm. So that's not really a tech thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. The people talk a lot about how to make startup communities better and how to bring funding in. And I don't think that they try enough to go out and get the funding themselves. Mm. So it's an easy excuse that it's not there. Like you went to San Francisco and um, I'm not sure how successful that was for you versus AngelList, but that's going out too. Like if you just look at the immediate community around you, it's going to be really hard to accomplish anything funding wise or partnership wise. So I think it's almost better to be in a place like San Diego or middle of the U S where you have to go out of your bubble and meet some people and maybe bring it in and let that foster it. Yeah. It's, it's super difficult here in San Diego. I mean, even like uh, classic, who's one of the bigger tech companies, they had to go raise outside of San Diego 
uh, for the follow ones. There's not, but a, they stayed, but they can't, they, they, they stayed. stayed yeah, yeah, they stayed, uh, which is awesome. But there's not a single like series a level fund, like a hundred million plus fund in San Diego. There's that I know of a single seed fund called seed San Diego, but they focus more on biotech. Yeah. Um, so I mean, there's really, it's really, it's actually really hard because you have to go individually to angel investors uh, to raise your round. And the angels down here aren't as accustomed to the entrepreneurial friendly deals that do up in SF. And if yeah. it's just a plane flight away, why would you take worse terms just so you can raise your money down here? Yeah. I mean. And a lot of the, the VC funds down here, I've heard horror stories about. Yeah. So when you're in a small community that probably pushes them to take advantage of founders because they're um, big fish in a small pond, but that sucks. We need more competition on the funding level. Well, yeah, I think we need um, people like Classy and others to have like a liquidity event exit or something. So yeah. they can be a b- bunch of rich entrepreneurs. San Diego had a big yeah. win, a yeah. big tech win. And, and there's none. There's like an eco ATM, which is a freaking ATM machine. And then there was like some software like 10 years ago that was enterprisey. And when I tell people who are like in the VC or angel circle in, uh, in San Diego, they're like, yeah, we've had a few. I'm like, what? They're like, oh, ego I'm like, that is not like the tech we're talking about here. <laughs> like, that's not there, a there are plenty of biotech. Yeah, there are plenty of biotech, big, big but that exits. money always stays in biotech. Right. Um, and there's just never been a big exit in San Diego, yeah. period. And so. There's no startup money floating around. So just go do that. Yeah. Let's just go get a big exit. So if you're watching and you are an investor and you want to come to a place where there's a lot of startups and nobody with money, this is a place to be. Come down here and you'll have your pick. Not that you don't have your pick everywhere else, but you'll have your pick here. (laughs) Extra picks. You can live in a nicer place and have your pick. Yeah. Cool. So, um, So what else you got going on? You do a podcast. I don't anymore. Oh, you stopped. Um, yeah. So we started a podcast called Rocket Ship uh, with myself, Joel, and then Michael Saka. Yeah, yeah. And he has since moved up to Canada. He's still running it. Joel was working with him on it up until uh, about a month ago. And then she took a break to get ready for a oh, baby. Baby. And so now he's running it. He's trying some new formats. Huh. And uh, I'm not sure exactly which direction he's going to take it in, but it's, it's exciting. He's booking some really big Sweet. guests and trying. What was your. He, uh, Okay. Sorry, did you just see today Crew got acquired by yeah. Dribble? Yeah. Which oh, is really? crazy. Yeah. And didn't Dribble just get acquired? He did, yeah, by um Metalab. Metalab, yeah. Yeah. Well Andrew uh Oh, that's right. Wilkinson, is that it? Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, bam bam. Take over Dribble and Dribble takes over Crew and Crazy. And Unsplash anyway, is separate now. They yeah, they just broke that out. That was a big thing a couple weeks um, ago or months ago. So so what was it like for you doing Rocket Ship and like um, like having a podcast because it was like a super clean format and you guys spent a lot of time on your website, making sure it was like a resource for people and everything. Like yeah. What is that experience? Like? I think we, we put a little bit too much work into the website because oh. updating it over time became a total nightmare. It was a middleman static site and everything was done through YAML. Mm. So we had these huge, huge documents of YAML and it was Joel's job to update the website. And it was just a dreadful two or three times a week thing. Cause we were putting out two episodes a week, Jeez, which is a lot. And a lot. we, when we started off, we decided to do the first, however many episodes in whatever time frame, And that got us on the schedule of doing two a week and we just never stopped. So we went, we did, um, we did hundreds of episodes. Did you record hundreds twice of episodes? A week? We or just once 
So we, we got a backlog going of about probably 10 episodes, and then we would do one a week or two a week if we could. But that way, if we missed a week or we're traveling for a couple of weeks or if we want to take off all of December for the holidays, we didn't have to worry about the schedule getting thrown off. Hmm. But even so, it was a lot of work. It sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. It is a lot of work in general, um, doing a podcast. Uh, yeah. Can you see this? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you can't. The cameras are perfectly angled, so you can't see everything. But if you That was part of slide, the work. Yeah. <laughs> but if you watch this live, you'll be able to see it. Now, that's cool. So now, now it's taken off and everything, and obviously your time is all wrapped up in the company. Um, have you ever thought about going back into it? Into Rocket Ship? Or a podcast in general? We tried to early on with Churnbuster, but we were, we were trying to do everything in the first few months of Churnbuster before we realized that uh, we had to stop and slow down and focus on fixing what was broken. So the podcast, we did a few episodes and it got set aside. Um, I would like to. Yeah. I'm, I'm starting to go on other people's podcasts, which is nice because I don't have to produce it afterwards. Boom. Magic yes. happens and yes. I show up and talk and then... And, and, uh, and to your point on doing everything at once, like... Was that the biggest temptation you had is to like push marketing, push marketing, push marketing versus building? And I don't know, how did you? Well, it took us a while to learn why marketing wasn't working because um, the stuff that we had done in the past wasn't working with Turnbuster and we were shitting ourselves. Sounds wrong. Uh, should-ing <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> I, I didn't know what word it was. I was like, wait, how does that make a difference if you quote it? Yeah. <laughs> you might not have heard of this term. <laughs> Should, so like should we should do shoulding podcasts we should do blog oh. posts we should answer Cora <laughs> Cora uh, questions and as a result of putting all that on our shoulders we did none of it instead of deciding to do one thing mm-hmm. commit to one post a month or something mm-hmm. very minimal and see how that works beyond that uh, like I said I just don't think it was the right time yet we had to transition the company which everyone told us it would take a year to do and we assumed it would take a couple weeks. So we jumped in the first week. We totally overhauled their pricing. We came out with a brand new website. We we changed everything. We took it from a product into being a service, which nobody asked for and nobody really wanted. Uh, we took the dashboard offline and like actually were doing manual reporting to people because we thought, this is an important problem. We solve it the best, and um, we want to be looking at your account every week. Mm. This isn't something you should automate with software because it's very costly problem and if you're solving it right you want to keep a close eye on that we'll do that for you um but people didn't want that that made us the hero and we took the hero-ness away from them so what we've been doing since then is trying to build new dashboard build new settings new ways for our customers to go in and actually like press the button that recovers the money for them because us doing it isn't that cool or exciting to them Mm -hmm. what can they go tell their boss yeah. You know, so early on, we tried to change everything. I think we went totally in the wrong direction. We thought we were smarter than the guy who had been running it for years. Mm-hmm. And once we learned that, uh, it still took a while for us to back off on the expectations we were setting on ourselves for marketing. And just now, I feel like we're starting to get stuff shipping uh, because we've slowed down and been realistic about what we can actually do. Gotcha. So it's going, it's going well? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. And is the dashboard, is that something you're still working on getting back online or is it online? It's online. We launched it uh, midway through last year and then have been changing it since then. But what did people say when it came back online? Like you said, people weren't happy where they like, oh, awesome. Well, it's or were they like, oh, I pref- prefer. 
it's was there anybody who wanted the old st- old way of doing yeah, it? Yeah, and we kept the old one online because there's certain things that you can do with the old one that we didn't want you to be able to do with the new one, mm-hmm. but we didn't want to fuss with like taking stuff away from the the legacy customers. So some people still use both. Some people use the old. Some people don't know that an old even existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the customers who came in expecting a service were happy with it. Um, but honestly, we churned a ton of those people. Like we had, we took over the company in uh, October 31st, 2015, and we brought on a ton of customers, November, December, launched on Product Hunt, had a great start. And then February, we churned almost everybody. Mm which I'd never seen before. <laughs> yeah. So from there going forward, that never happened again. And, and we started What's to What's up like, with February? They came in, they stayed a month or two. And then that first wow. cohort, everyone left because we were setting the wrong expectations. Mm. Um, people weren't getting what they thought they were going to get. Gotcha. And I think that's because we didn't talk to anybody. We just jumped in and decided how everything should change. Mm. So since then we haven't had a, a snafu like that. Yeah, And we figured out how to upgrade accounts and keep delivering more and more value over time so that we get to negative churn. Um, and we're trying to add more features that put them in control of actually doing stuff. Because still, there's not that much you can do yourself in the yeah. dashboard. You log in, you see how it's working, it's on autopilot. Um, but there's a lot more that we can do in terms of catching problems like bounced emails and helping you fix them. Uh, email misspellings are a huge problem. So people sign up for your product with at gmil.com that gets passed into Stripe. Then maybe you don't pass it to Stripe when they update their email in the future. You integrate with Churnbuster or Plasso. We get the old email address and then emails bounce. Yeah. So your one point of contact is super brittle, which sucks if you're charging 500 plus a month. Yeah. Um, other problem is people who work at startups leave like every year. Yeah. And go work somewhere else. So if you're not keeping good points of contact on file or multiple points of contact, right. um, you're going to set yourself up for churn when it's not necessarily. Got it. So hmm. we're, cool. we're trying to add more uh, stuff to identify problems you can solve and then also add features that point out opportunities. So if our process is 22 days currently. If someone gets to the 20th day and they're worth over 1000 a month, Maybe that's a point where you want to jump in and get on the phone and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to present that opportunity to you in Slack or however you want it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that puts you in the driver's seat to like step in and add value instead of us doing it for right. you. Yeah. And that's cool. It, yeah. And just being email. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Cool, man. Well, that's all the time we got. Thanks, everyone, for sticking with us. We'll be back again next week. Yeah. Thank you, Matt, for jumping on. Thanks, man. Thank you. Talk to us. It's been good. We'll see you next time.